Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm joined today from Denver, Colorado by Frank Goldman, whose grandfather, Frank Goldman, B'nai B'rith's president in the years from 1947 to 1953, played a historic role in President Harry S. Truman's recognition of Israel in 1948. Spearheading important projects that supported the new state, Goldman led the organization during the era in which the European lodges were reborn after the tragedy of the Holocaust. Frank, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you having me here. Well, I know that your namesake died in 1965, more than a decade prior to your own birth. Do you remember the first time you heard about him and his very important place in your family's history and in the history of the Jewish people? Sure. Um, You know, I can't specifically pinpoint the exact time I first heard about Papa Frank, as he was affectionately known in our family. But certainly the lore of Papa Frank was pervasive in our household. Some of my earliest memories are hearing the stories of Papa Frank. I distinctly remember long walks through the city of Lowell, Massachusetts, where he and then my dad grew up, and my dad pointing to the old Civic Building where they honored Papa Frank after he passed away in 1965. And the the stories were fantastic, Dan. Hearing about this small city lawyer who seemingly against all odds, being a first-generation Jewish-American, really lived the American dream brought himself up in the face of all obstacles, combating terrible anti-Semitism in New England and coming from a family that had fled the pogroms in Russia to become really a cherished member of the local community and, of course, as you referenced in the international scene. And I still remember my dad, Fred, who unfortunately passed away now going on 16 years ago, recounting to me how Papa Frank was this terrifically skilled lawyer as a DA and defense attorney and arguing at least one case that went to the Supreme Court. And in the next breath, telling me about John Adams and Clarence Darrow and and Abraham Lincoln without obviously directly comparing them, but explaining to me how words and demeanor could be fashioned to win over your opponent. And obviously that had a significant impression on me as I years later became an attorney. And of course, there was the story, the immeasurable effect that Papa Frank had on the creation and recognition of the state of Israel, but more importantly, to bring a modicum of peace to the Holocaust survivors. You know, to a young child, Papa Frank was larger than life. He was this mythical creature, if you will, who was this miracle worker. And you struggle to come to terms with that as a young child with a man who wasn't real in your percipient world, but just a vision of how one is supposed to conduct his or her life. And at the same time, in some way, it it made everything seem possible, that a young boy or girl could in fact grow up to fulfill their dreams and, and purpose in life. Now, my father was very reticent about Papa Frank outside the home. He felt like it was bragging, but I always disagreed with him. I said that it was a central tenet of the Jewish people uh, to tell our shared history, and it was in, important for those to to know the story. And if I if I can, just one other thing about Papa Frank. I think above all, what was conveyed to me is he was just this wonderful man, very welcoming, and everyone seems to have loved him, Jew and non-Jew alike. And when we went back to Lowell a few years ago, 
uh, I, I was just overwhelmed by the number of people who conveyed that to me. Um, and just, you know, there's this one little anecdote that I like to tell about Papa Frank and just how he made people feel. But there's this story that when my dad was a young boy and he brought over his pal from school, who in Lowell was, of course, not Jewish, it was during Passover and Papa Frank went over to the kid and handed him a piece of matzah and the kid reluctantly took it and then took a bite and grimaced and Papa Frank looked at him and goes, terrible, isn't it? And they, they all, they all burst out in laughter and, and it, he just, he just had this way to make everyone comfortable. And I have no doubt that it was this part of his persona that Truman came to love and respect. So to answer your question directly, growing up, I had a hero, a man who I never had the privilege of meeting, but whom I've emulated and revered my entire life. Well, we'll get to the uh, the story about uh, uh, Truman and, and Weitzman in a moment, but um, I want to stay with this for a moment. That uh, Frank, I understand, received his law degree at a very young age, so he must have been sure of his vocation or his career choice uh, early on. Uh, but um, what about his leadership positions in the Jewish community? What led him uh, to B'nai B'rith? And um, what was the trajectory there before he became uh, the president of this organization? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of it had to do with his background and upbringing. Um, he was born in Boston in December 1890 would be 127 years old today. Yeah, if you do the math, he, he's more of my great-grandfather's generation, but uh, that's another story. Um, but he was the son of Russian immigrants who had fled the pogroms. He was one of seven children and only one of three to be born in the United States. And the new country meant everything to his family. They came here with nothing but loved the country for the freedom an opportunity that it offered. And these were some of the very ideals that inspired Papa Frank and which he later analogized to Israel and the creation of Israel when he spoke to Truman years later. Um, you know, seeing all of this, his goal in life became to help people. He dedicated his life to community service. He provided humanitarian aid to those who could not otherwise help themselves and generally he used his existence for the betterment of others. So, you know, he, he went through high school, graduating in 1907. As you said, he, he, he skipped college, went straight to law school, graduating summa cum laude. And too young to be admitted to the bar, he stayed on and became a professor. He also got involved in community service projects. And throughout his life, he dedicated himself to local community and national and international community service projects, both in the Jewish and non-Jewish world. Uh, he was involved with Red Cross. He was involved with the local Lowell Community Center and then became VP of National Jewish Hospital here in Denver. And and uh, and the list goes on and on. So he now he did he become a member of Benabreth in Lowell while while he was there or in Boston? He did. He um, So at the age of 17 in 1908, he helped actually found the Benabreth Lodge in Lowell, Massachusetts. And so after that, he he went on 
to serve in the general committee of district one for seven years uh, for several years and then actually became president of the district lodge in 1933 and by the early 1940s he became uh, one of uh, BVI's uh, three international vice presidents and then as you know uh, in 1947 after uh, after the venerable Henry Monsky passed away he was unanimously selected to take over as international president but uh, you know as as your question prompted I mean really his whole life was dedicated to helping others and I think he saw B'nai B'rith as an outlet for that a way to give back to Jews and non-Jews alike. Well, he was known for his many accomplishments and, and hard work that he performed in B'nai B'rith during his two terms from 1947 until 1953. But now I want, I'd like to move to his pivotal role during the early part of his first term and what was one of Jewish history's most significant 20th century moments. And, you know, we're observing this year, Israel's uh, 70th anniversary, and uh, there are many commemorations, many programs, a lot's been written about it, some things on TV and documentaries and and so forth. But um, every story uh, about the the establishment of the modern state of Israel uh, really comes back to um, uh, a few very important months uh, during uh, Frank's presidency of B'nai B'rith. Tell us about that, and um, especially about the encounters between President Truman and your grandfather. Sure, I'm happy to. And um, as as you're well aware, normally I give an hour-plus talk on this, so I'll try and be brief and summarize the events in the best way I can without leaving too much out. Um, as you suggest in your question, Papa Frank's most significant role, at least in my estimation, was his work towards advancing the U.S. recognition of the state of Israel. Um, it's it's not that well reported, um, but I, in many ways, I think Papa Frank preferred it that way because his goal was was to help people, and and recognition, his own recognition, was not really foremost in his mind. Um, so, the events that that I'm about to talk about really take place over, as you said, significantly over a few months, but but really within an exact one-year period, because on May 14, 1947, Papa Frank was unanimously elected to succeed the late Henry Monsky as international president. And his first goal and his first act was to immediately call for the doors of Palestine to be open for unrestricted immigration of the Jewish people. And that was reported in the New York Times of the next day. But as we know, the call was not heeded, and Papa Frank knew that something had to be done. So in June of 1947, he had an idea. He learned that one of Truman's dearest friends was a man named Edward Jacobson. Eddie, as he became known to Papa Frank, and Truman served in World War I together and ultimately opened a failed haberdashery business together in Kansas City. Um, in fact, the reason it fit, and because it failed, Truman actually went into politics. But Papa Frank didn't know Eddie. He just knew someone needed to act. So he called a man named A.J. Granoff, a prominent attorney in Kansas City and past president of BBI, uh, of the neighborhood District 2, 
and they asked him if he knew Jacobson. And it turned out that Granoff was Eddie's lawyer and friend. So Granoff set up the meeting. Papa Frank and Maurice Beisiger from BBI flew out to Kansas City where they met with Eddie. Now, Eddie's initial reaction was contrary to what Papa Frank would have thought. He told Papa Frank adamantly that he was not a Zionist. The Nabrith was this fraternal organization to which he belonged, and he knew nothing about politics or Palestine. But Papa Frank, in his way, impressed upon him the dire situation and assured Eddie that if he would agree to be involved, that he would give him a thorough briefing of all the facts. So over the next 11 months, and I believe me, I could get into the details, but I'll summarize. So until Truman recognized the de facto authority of the provisional government of Israel on May 14, 1948, Papa Frank did a number of things. He traveled frequently to Kansas City to educate Eddie on Jewish history, the history of Palestine, what had happened in the camps and the plight of the Jews who were left in Europe. He fostered a relationship with President Truman, appealing to him on many occasions to open the doors of Palestine. He specifically called on the president to support the UN resolution, the special committee report resolution in favor of partition, which significantly was controversial because it was the first openly Zionist position that B'nai had ever taken in its more than 100 years of existence. It was so controversial, in fact, that it caused dissension in the ranks and many left the organization. But two weeks after he made that appeal to Truman, the U.S. officially endorsed the report, and Papa Frank, of course, uh, promptly wired Truman and expressed his gratitude. Uh, then, as you know, on November 29th of that year, the U.N. Uh, Assembly passed Resolution 181 in favor of partition. But that was not, of course, the end of the story. Um, the State Department successfully reversed U.S. policy against the partition vote, and Papa Frank spoke out against that. And by January and February of 1948, American Zionists were daily castigating Harry Truman on on betraying them and reversing course. And Truman, as reflected in his uh, biography, uh, sorry, his autobiography, uh, said that he really took the attacks to heart and in turn locked the doors of the White House to all Zionist leaders. Amazingly, however, Papa Frank still had an audience with the president, presumably based on the relationship he had engendered with Truman. And then on January 29th, 1948, um, as reported in the New York Times and Visitor Logs, uh, Papa Frank, Eddie Jacobson, and Maurice Beisinger went to the White House where they had a, quote, friendly, intimate meeting. Um, I know that they would have talked about partition, but knowing my the history and lore of my grandfather, he would have been diplomatic and uh, played his cards wisely so as to not irritate the president so the the story then moves on and 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 really the key point is that as many people know that in february of 1948 heim weitzman internationally famous scientist and then later the first president of israel um, was gravely ill 
but despite that flew from Israel to personally appeal to Truman. And all these Jewish leaders across America were trying to get Weitzman into the White House, but Truman was refusing. It was well known within his inner circles that Truman didn't even want to hear the word Palestine at that point. Um, but Papa Frank knew that Weitzman being there was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that could not be taken for granted. And he realized that he was in a position to make something happen. And he would be a failure in his own estimation if he didn't do something. He had the utmost faith in Weitzman and knew that if somehow he could get Weitzman into the White House, that he and only he could convince Truman. So Papa Frank went back to Eddie and again convinced Eddie to get involved, to appeal to Truman to see Weitzman. So all of that apparently happened over a phone call on February 20th of 48 at 2 o'clock in the morning where I understand Eddie promptly cursed out my grandfather for calling him at 2 o'clock in the morning. But my grandfather didn't know time very well. He just wanted to get things done. And Eddie initially had refused a request, but Papa Frank explained to him the expediency and, and how he, I was told, as only Papa Frank could do, he put it to Eddie. He said, do you want to personally bear the responsibility for the suffering of countless Jewish men, women, and children who were living in the concentration camps where they had been previously imprisoned? And of course, when he told him that, that obviously worked. And Eddie agreed to, to get involved. And so Papa Frank devised a plan that he and Eddie would wait until Truman returned from his vacation in the Florida Keys and Eddie would go and personally appeal to the president. Papa Frank coached and prepared Eddie for what was to be the biggest meeting of his life. So on Saturday, March 13th, Eddie went unannounced to the White House, was admitted ent entrance because he was Truman's close friend and what has become part of a well-chronicled meeting Eddie famously convinced Truman to see Weitzman by analogizing his hero, Weitzman, to Truman's hero, Andrew Jackson. And as Papa Frank predicted, Weitzman eventually met with the president and convinced him, and the rest is history. And on May 14th of that year, Truman granted de facto recognition of the state of Israel. And then in January of the following year, he... he uh, granted full de jure or state recognition of Israel. And I'll just add one note that at that meeting in January 1949, where Truman signed the de jure recognition of Israel, there were only three invited guests to the, to the Oval Office that day. And one of them was Papa Frank, who sat across all the pictures, show them uh, sitting in two chairs above, across from each other while Eddie Jacobson and, and Maurice Beisinger stand and Truman holds up the uh, de jure recognition. So that was, uh, that was uh, you know, a year of time in, in hopefully just about five minutes. Well, it's, we have that photograph, of course, as you know, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful photograph. Uh, there's also um, a, a story about the, the pen uh, with which... Uh, uh, President Truman signed the de jure uh, document. Uh, you might want to comment about that because that pen is uh, 
uh, came back into uh, public view, public attention just a couple of months ago when uh, the uh, embassy uh, of Israel in Jerusalem uh, had its launch uh, with uh, the president and other dignitaries uh, being in Jerusalem. So why don't you tell us about the, that pen? Absolutely. There, there were actually uh, seven pens that were used um, for the signing of the de jure recognition, uh, three of which were given to Papa Frank and, and B'nai B'rith International. And uh, there's, a, there's a famous picture that, that I actually have hanging in my house of Papa Frank, Eddie Jacobson, and Marie Speisinger holding the pens up. And uh, funny enough, uh, Maurice has a, a sort of a, a frown on his face because I think it's around that time that uh, Papa Frank told him that they'd be uh, donating the pens <laughs> outside. So, uh, but that's always the, the little humor that I bring to it. But, uh, but I'm not sure where two of the pens have gone. I, I, I assume one of those is in Eddie Jacobson's family's uh, possession, and, and one of them I don't know. Uh, but the third one um, was in a ceremony later that year uh, presented to Eliyahu Alaf, or uh, 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 who was the uh, was the um, uh, first uh, ambassador to to Israel, and there was a very dramatic uh, 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 presentation, and they gave it to him. and And for years, I didn't know where it was until I traveled to Israel in in 2014 and was in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, and the pen was uh, prominently on display there, and it says, there's a plaque that says this pen was donated by by Frank Goldman, international president of B'nai B'rith, and, uh, and, uh, and it's still there to this day, and uh, in, unless it's been moved to the embassy, but I believe it's still no, there. No, it's on display actually at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in, in Jerusalem, the picture that you mentioned, of, of Frank and um, Maurice and Eddie Jacobson and uh, Elad, who was the first, as you say, the first ambassador of Israel to, to the United States. So, well, Frank, it's a, it's a great story. I never tire of hearing this story. Um, historians have, have written about it. Michael Beschloss, the presidential historian, has written about it in his book about courageous uh, presidents of the United States. And, of course, in, in other places, the story is getting better and better known. And... Um, it really, in the, in the course of Jewish history, and uh, clearly um, your grandfather was a, was a, a modest and, and a humble fellow, uh, but he played uh, such an important role. And um, we, we, even to this day, as we talk about it, we deeply appreciate it because it was so instrumental in uh, all of the events leading up to the establishment of, of the state of Israel. Let me ask you this question, though. Um, how has the example of your grandfather, uh, Papa Frank, impacted your own values and, and the path that uh, you've followed? Sure. I, you know, I, I would say that, um, you know, like Andrew Jackson was to Harry Truman and Heim Weitzman was purportedly to Eddie Jacobson, you know, my hero growing up was Frank Goldman. And it's largely because of him that I put myself through college, attended law school, got involved with B'nai B'rith, 
frequently do community service and eventually took a job in public service to do what I could do to give back to the community. You know, when I wrote my personal statement as part of the law school application process, I spoke about Papa Frank and what he had done and the impact that he made on me, even from the grave, on an impressionable young man. I talked about the values that he instilled through my father and ultimately to me of perseverance, honor, duty, and using your existence for the benefit of the greater good. Um, you know, I, I always say that um, what, what I found to be the most uh, impactful from the story is that, you know, he, he saw a problem and he wanted to solve it. And, you know, the lesson I drew for myself is no matter where we come from and the means at our disposal, we can always speak out for what is right and just, and we can always rise up to affect great change. And, you know, Papa Frank once told my father that he was a failure because he didn't do enough, something that, you know, we all struggle with. But his example has taught me to focus on being myself, being good, and doing good. And frankly, nothing else matters. Well, he certainly he served as a, a role model uh, in this organization, our organization, B'nai B'rith, in the American Jewish community. You know, what you, uh, you say about about him as a person. We have several photos of him here in our headquarters in Washington. And um, I look at those photos uh, at least a few times a week as I walk through the halls. And uh, I think the kind of person that he was comes through in the pictures. If, if photographs can um, convey um, a person, and sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, uh, in this particular case, hearing you talk about him, um, I think it uh, uh, kind of melds very well with the impression that, that I've had. Of course, I didn't know him either, and uh, many of us today, uh, I don't think there, there are probably, uh, you know, there may be a few folks left who, who remember him, uh, but this is such a great way to remember him, not only with these photos, but of course the telling of the story, which uh, will continue throughout the ages and the important role that he played. So... I, uh, I want to thank you, Frank, for uh, sharing all of this with us uh, and for all the work that you do in perpetuating his memory and in perpetuating this story. It's uh, a great uh, uh, tradition that you have uh, to, to be the grandson of, of such a great uh, American and such a great member of the Jewish community. So uh, we thank you for, for doing that and for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, really a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I, I would just add that uh, it it means a lot to my family to to be able to come and talk about him. And uh, and, you know, the you know, Papa Frank had such a wonderful relationship with Truman after the recognition. And it just uh, it uh, re really is impactful on my entire family to to be able to recount the story. So thank you for having us. Great. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast today. Please visit our website, benabreth.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, 
tell a friend about us. For my guest, Frank Goldman, I'm Dan Mariasha. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. 